0: Section 63 of The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rowan Etzel. Find me on YouTube under Rowan Etzel. The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1. Mammals, by Charles Lewis Cornish, Editor. The Typical Phalangers The typical phalangers, or opossums, as they are familiarly known throughout Australia, include a very considerable number of representatives, ranging in size from that of a small mouse to that of a full-grown cat. All are essentially arboreal in their habits, feeding principally on the leaves and flowers of the various gums. They are for the most part strictly nocturnal in their habits and make their homes and retiring places during the day in the hollow trunks and limbs that are of such abundant occurrence in the periodically fire-swept Australian forests. Almost all of the larger species are notable for the length, thickness, and exquisitely fine texture of their fur, a circumstance for which they are consequently laid under heavy penalties for the sake of their pelts. The island colony of Tasmania in the extreme south, with its colder climate as might be anticipated, produces the finest qualities of these furs, that of the black or sooty opossum, which is peculiar to the island, being most highly prized. The length and furry character of their in many instances prehensile tails also form a conspicuous feature of this group. Nature, in fact, apparently distributed caudal material so over-liberally among these marsupials that the little koala had to make shift without. The group of the phalanger family, popularly known as flying squirrels, or more correctly as flying phalangers, is almost universally admitted to include some of the most beautiful of living mammals. In external structure, so far as their peculiar so-called flying mechanism is concerned, these animals coincide in a remarkable manner with the true flying squirrels, belonging to the rodent order, indigenous to the Asiatic and American continents. In neither instance is their flight, in the true sense of the term, similar to that of birds and bats, But the fore and hind limbs are connected by a parachute-like membrane, which, outstretched when the animal leaps from tree to tree, buoys it up and enables its owner to traverse, in a straight and gradually descending line only, very considerable distances. The smaller squirrel-like form, common to the southeastern districts of Australia, and on account of its predilection for sweets commonly known as the sugar squirrel, makes a most charming little pet. For the most part addicted to sleep, and impatient at being disturbed during the day, towards sundown it wakes up and is full of frolic. One such example was the writer's traveling companion for a considerable interval in Western Australia. While remaining packed conveniently away in a small box throughout the day, it was accustomed to enjoy the liberty of whatever apartment its owner occupied in the evening and throughout the night, returning of its own accord to its sleeping box with the approach of dawn. On one exceptional occasion, however, Master Tiny, as this individual was named, was missing in the morning from his accustomed crib, and a prolonged search and examination of every corner and article of furniture that could afford shelter failed to recover him. That the little creature was lost, through someone having unwittingly left the door of the apartment open, permitting its escape, was the only and much deplored conclusion that could be arrived at. Towards evening, however, there was a slight rustle close at hand and Master Tiny was discovered emerging, like Minerva from the head of Jupiter, from the top of one of the old-fashioned china dogs that decorated the hotel room mantelpiece. The ornament, seemingly intact from the front, had the back of the head battered in. Through the resulting crevice the little animal had managed to squeeze itself, having come to the conclusion, doubtless, that this newly chosen retreat more nearly resembled the cavernous shelter of its native tree spout than its accustomed artificially constructed box. This singular domicile Master Tiny was permitted to monopolize for the remainder of his sojourn at that hostelry. One of the favorite diversions of this little phalanger during the evenings was to climb up the curtain and cornice of the room he occupied, and thence hurl himself through the air with outspread parachute to the writer at the opposite end. The apartment, happening to be the commercial room of the hotel, some thirty feet in length, gave him good scope for exercising his characteristic flying leaps. The attitude invariably maintained during these flights is aptly illustrated in the accompanying photograph. The body is never poised with the head inclined downwards, as is commonly depicted in artists' fancy sketches of the animal contained in popular natural histories. A friend of the writer's in Tasmania, who kept one of these flying phalangers as a household pet, was accustomed to leave a crevice of the window open at night, so that the little fellow could go in and out as it liked. After the manner of most pets, however, a day arrived upon which its box was found vacant, a marauding cat or other disaster having apparently compassed its untimely end. The larger flying phalanger, the dimensions of our domestic tabby, and with fur as long and soft as the Persian variety, is less frequently domesticated. It has, in fact, an evil reputation for scratching, biting, and general untamableness. One that was kept for some little time by the late Dr. Bennett of Sydney, and brought to England, never entirely lost its innate savagery. On the voyage from Australia it became sufficiently tame as to be allowed occasionally to run about on the deck, and was so far amiable as to lie on its back and permit itself to be tickled. On attempting to handle it, however, it displayed its usual savage disposition, digging its sharp claws and teeth into the hands of its captor. The writer was fortunate in being the recipient in Queensland of a couple of these large phalangers which were exceptions to the usual rule. These specimens, a mother and its young male offspring, also varied in colour from normal examples, which are usually dark slate or blackish-brown above and whitish underneath. The mother, in this instance, was a beautiful cream-white throughout, and her young one, while dark chinchilla grey upon the back, limbs, and tail, had white ears and breast. Both were very friendly, and would of their own accord climb over their owner's person, seeking in his pockets for hidden lumps of sugar and other acceptable dainties. As with the smaller squirrel-like forms, they slept throughout the greater portion of the day, waking to activity and making excursions in search of their food as soon as the sun went down. The tail of this species of phalanger is abnormally long and furry, but not prehensile. It was observed of them that when feeding leisurely on the gum tree leaves, this appendage was permitted to hang or rest loosely, but that when walking along the branches they would frequently coil this member into a tight spiral coil, like a watch spring or the proboscis of a butterfly, against their hindquarters. This phenomenon is apparently unique among mammals. Although generally seeking the darker retreat of their box for their long daylight sleep, The female, more particularly, would frequently simply curl herself up into a furry white ball in one corner of the cage, the head, limbs, or other features being at such times altogether indistinguishable. The aid of the magnesium flashlight was successfully called into service to secure the photographic likeness of this animal, here reproduced, which was taken while it was enjoying its evening meal. As previously mentioned, some representatives of the flying phalanger group are no larger than mice. And are furnished in a similar manner with a parachute-like membrane that enables them to take abnormally long flying leaps, or, as it were, to sail horizontally through the air. The pygmy flying phalanger, whose length of body does not exceed two and a half inches, is one of the most interesting. The tail in this form is also adapted for aerial flotation, the long hairs that grow upon this appendage being arranged in two parallel lines like the veins of a feather. Its distribution is limited to the south and eastern districts of the Australian continent. There are also a number of mouse and squirrel-like phalangers destitute of the flying membrane, which in this respect very closely resemble an external aspect more typical members of the rodent order. One form in particular, the striped phalanger of New Guinea, decorated with broad longitudinal black and white stripes, is singularly suggestive of some of the variously striped American squirrels. This interesting island of New Guinea also produces a little pygmy phalanger with a feather like tail, which, except for the absence of a parachute or flying membrane, is the very counterpart of the Australian kind. Another species, which in shape, size, and more especially with reference to its long, pointed snout, closely resembles a shrew mouse, is found in Western Australia. The tail of this species, known as the long snouted phalanger, is highly prehensile and it is also provided with a long, slender, protrusile tongue, with which it abstracts the honey from banksias and other flowers, upon which it customarily feeds. The two large phalangers, known as the black and grey or vulpine opossums, which are chiefly laid under contribution for the Australian fur supplies, are provided with prehensile tails, the underside of the extremity of which grasps the supporting fulcrum and is devoid of hair. The adaptation of the tail for use as a fifth hand, as in the New World monkeys, is, however, much more conspicuously manifested in what are known to the colonists as the ring tailed opossums, and to zoologists as crescent toothed phalangers. In these the tail tapers to a fine point, and the hair throughout the terminal third of this appendage is so fine and short that it at first sight presents the appearance of being entirely naked. This terminal third of the tail, moreover, in the greater number of species, contrasts with the remaining portion by being white in hue. It occasionally happens, however, that individuals occur which are entirely white. One such which came into the writer's possession was obtained from the Bruni Islands, in the Derwent estuary, Tasmania, and afterwards became a great pet with the young people at Government House, Hobart. It is an interesting circumstance that the Bruni Islands were noted for the production of albino animals of various descriptions, white kangaroos and white emus having also been obtained from this locality. Probably some peculiarity of the soil, and its action on the vegetable food the animals consumed, played an important part in the unusually frequent occurrence of this phenomenon. The ring-tailed opossums differ essentially from the common opossum or phalanger and its allies in their life habits. While these latter habitually take up their abode and bring forth their young in hollow trees. The ring-tailed species construct a regular nest of interlaced sticks, leaves, grass, or any other available material for their domicile. The structure much resembles the nest, or dray, of our own familiar European squirrel, and may be perched high up among the tree branches, or within only a few feet from the ground among the scrub thickets. In New Guinea, a variety of these ring-tailed phalangers occurs. Not found in Australia, which has no white tip to its tail, and the ears are very short and wide. The group as represented by this species leads to the consideration of the so-called Cuscuses or typical phalangers, indigenous to New Guinea and North Queensland, though but rarely seen there, which, as an exception to the marsupial tribe, are distributed among the Indo-Malay Islands as far westward as Celebes. In the Cuscuses the tail is altogether naked, and pre-eminently prehensile throughout almost its entire terminal moiety. The ears are round and, proportionately, exceedingly small, while the fur is very short, thick, and woolly. Compared with the opossums or phalangers, the cuscuses are very dull and sluggish in their movements, creeping slowly among the branches of the trees to browse on the fruits and leaves which constitute their principal diet. Like the opossums, however, or even to a greater extent, They vary this vegetarian regimen with insects or an occasionally captured bird. End of section 63. Recording by Rowan Etzel. Find me on YouTube under Rowan Etzel.